In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Hey, good morning. Aloha, everybody. Hope you had a great New Year's Eve. You were safe, had some fun, and uh, are looking forward to good things that are going to be happening this year. Uh, This will be my first show of this year. I got a new book review for you, and it's a good one. It's a really good one. It's called Technopoly by Neil Postman, and it is a critique of culture in a roundabout way. When I first started to think about doing this book review, I sat down and I wrote out quite a bit about some valid points in this book and how it's affecting us today, and we're going to get into those. However, this book is one of those books that just really makes you think. It really helps kind of cross the bridge of how we got to where we are today with technology. And as I was thinking about that, I ended up getting away from a lot of points that I want to talk about in the book review later. So this might be a a two-parter. So let me just talk first off a little bit more about the book. And then I'm going to get into kind of a rant or kind of a meandering pathway kind of out, out, out in the forest a little bit. So I, I hope you, I hope you like it and hope you take time to listen to it. So You know, when you think about technology today, you know, you can think about it, most people think about it as friendly. Not everybody. I mean, there's, technology has done a lot of good things for us, but it's also created a lot of the weapons that have killed lots of people, destroyed families and countries, and it's also been pretty oppressive in a lot of different ways. So, let me give you a little, a little tidbit out of, uh, that particular area about technology being a friend or a, or a foe. Here's a little excerpt. In fact, most people believe that technology is a staunch friend. There are two reasons for this. First, technology is a friend. It makes life easier, cleaner, and longer. Can anyone ask more of a friend? 
Second, because of its lengthy, intimate, and inevitable relationship with culture, technology does not invite a close examination of its own consequences. It is the kind of friend that asks for trust and obedience, with m which most people are inclined to give because its gifts are truly bountiful. But of course, there is a dark side to this friend. Its gifts are not without a heavy cost. Stated in the most dramatic terms, the accusation can be made that the uncontrolled growth of technology destroys the vital sources of our humanity. It creates a culture without a moral foundation. It undermines certain mental processes and social relations that make human life worth living. I thought that that was pretty well, pretty well thought out paragraph about technology. And that, my friends, is where I started to, to kind of go out onto a different area. That part made me start thinking about, you know, can I see any of this in my life? Can I see the way technology has treated myself? And I can. It made me start thinking about anybody who's ever worked for a, a large multinational corporation. You know, one of the first things that you're given is an employee number. What does a number do? Well, in the case of humans, a number dehumanizes you. Right? It's much easier to see that this number right here is not performing the way you want it to. You know, when you come in in your day and, and you say you're looking at a set of production numbers and you come down to number 01725 and you, you, know, you scan right across and you go, oh, well, you look at this column and that column and then you go, oh, well, you know, this number is just not performing well here. You know, you run into the problem of the map is not the territory. It looks like that number is not being productive, but you, you don't understand why it's not being productive. All you see is the other numbers around it that are producing well. So if that's all you see, then it's easy to make the conclusion that that number, that person is malfunctioning. And that could be true. But a bigger question is why, why would that number be malfunctioning? Or why would that person be malfunctioning? Well, maybe, maybe they just lost a relative. Maybe they lost a kid. You know, maybe they, they had a fight with their spouse. Maybe they got injured. You know, maybe the map is not the territory. Maybe that particular number is different than all the rest. However, when you, when you just see the numbers, you dehumanize everyone. And that's kind of what multinationals are all about. They don't really care about the human component. I mean, that's why we get to the term, you know, that's how we get to the term of like human capital or, or uh, human resources. Like that term, that word, those words together are just, they're dehumanizing. You know, when you start treating people like numbers, you start treating people like animals, sometimes they start acting like animals. But going back to the multinationals and technology and the book Technopoly, you know, we're using technology today and the, the book is going to argue this point that we're trading efficiency for, moral, for morality. You know, we're... I mean, 
anybody who spent time with. If you had a disagreement with someone and you really cared about them and you sat down and you talked to them, chances are you're going to be able to at least see things from their point of view. You may not agree with them. You might not work everything out. But if you use a little empathy, you're probably going to be able to come away with a better understanding of the situation. But it's time-consuming, and it's hard, and it's, it is something that, you know, would probably get in the way of efficiency. So you can understand why someone sitting in a boardroom in New York doesn't really care about the well-being of someone driving a truck in, say, California. Like, that doesn't matter to them. All that matters to them is meeting the quotas or, or meeting their, their monthly projections. You know, and it, if you don't see a face, you just see a number, you can think, oh, well, look, I'll get somebody else. In fact, most of the books written on management in the 90s or early 2000s were all about trying to intimidate your people and scare them. And, you know, that, that's how you get people to work hard as you, you got to come in and, you know, just be a punk and tell people you're trying to run a business, you're trying to turn a profit. And, you know, when you get there, you've, I think you've already lost. So that's the first kind of branch I went out on when I, when I started thinking about technology friend or foe and, trading efficiency for morality and then i started thinking to myself how how is technology really penetrating all our lives today i mean it, it's all around us it's it's i think you could argue that some of the big tech companies are more important than some governments you could say that eric schmidt has more power than donald trump or that Sergey Brin has more power than Macron, or Jeff Bezos has more power than, you know, Angela Merkel. And in fact, you wouldn't be wrong. I don't know if it's a case of more power or more authority, but it's, it's an equivalence, I would say. They, have, they both have a lot, you know, a country has citizens, a multinational has employees. One country gives people um, social security and another one might give them a 401k. And when you start thinking about it from that perspective, it opens up another avenue, a different form of government that we had in the past, like that of like a religious institution. If you look at like the Pope in the Vatican, like he kind of has his own believers or if you look at Judaism or Islam and in fact I'm going to make the claim now that technology is going to be if it isn't already the religion of 2020 for the next 100 years you can call it transhumanism with Ray Kurzweil or um, you know whatever label you want to put on it, I think the term religion would be, would, would do well to put on there. You know, when you think about, you know, whether it's the Christian religion or the Catholic religion or Judaism or Islam, the high priests were the people in charge and they were, 
granted, I need to come back and give you guys some dates and stuff, but just kind of thinking out loud here. You know, when you think back to, you know, the, the Christians invading the Muslim territories and, and the Crusades and leaders of the church having all kinds of authority. And don't the CEOs of these multinational tech corporations have that same authority now? I mean, aren't they in fact influencing a lot of different governments with their technology? I mean, we saw in 2016, we saw a lot of people covering how Facebook was used to manipulate the way people think. And, and you know, I, I think that that's the same type of mentality that people would say about religion previously an interesting thought might be that you know in the united states we had a separation of church and state i think it might be a pretty good idea right now to have a separation of technology and state not taking technology away from the state but just you know being mindful of the very people that are running the corporations it may not be best for them to you know these so-called experts it may not be best for them to have such an influential spot in people's cabinets you know versus having might it be better for them to have input because it seems to me that what we're seeing now is just a complete takeover of the governments right if if you're if you're the big technology companies you don't care if someone's a democrat or if someone's a republican or whatever you just want to collect the data right you know if you look at google who recently took out the whole don't do evil from their slogan you know, their whole model is based on on surveillance capitalism and that's the model of the future you know, if that's the that could be the you know surveillance capitalism is the prayers said by the high priests of the tech companies they're just you know they're passing the plate around every time you sign one of those you know when you check whenever you check that box at the bottom of whatever it is you sign up for that's like passing the plate around you're just giving them a percentage of your of your data of your money forever and it doesn't doesn't really seem like it's going to slow down anytime soon you know, it's a, it's it's kind of mesmerizing, and sad, and fascinating all at the same time. I I did write down a couple of their notes that uh, I wanted to kind of go in a little bit about. We talked about human resources and employee numbers and the dehumanization by multinational corporations using technology. Um, you know, it wasn't that long ago that. Companies like IBM made punch cards for our German friends. They say history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. And I think you could make the same claim that today, companies like Google or, you know, other tech companies are providing some of our Chinese friends with the ability to set up invasive monitoring systems, social credit scores, and 
and you know the the ability to detain people for wrong speak as our friend or double speak as our friend George Orwell would talk about. It seems that that we're there. You know what? Uh, staying on the on that topic, and I'm, I want to reference another book. Um, Franz De Waal, he's a he's a uh, a man, a scientist really, who's studied animal behavior, and he's wrote a book called Bottom Up Morality. And after thirty years of studying primates, he makes the claim that it wasn't God who introduced us to morality; rather, it was the other way around. God was put into place to help us live the way we felt we ought to live. Now that's an interesting statement right there. Let me just read that again so you guys can really kind of mow it over. It wasn't God who introduced us to morality. Rather, it was the other way around. God was put into place to help us live the way we felt we ought to. Now you should be asking yourself, who is this we? Well, it's the people in power, right? And if you look at any form I don't want to say any form, but if you look at a lot of forms of religion, you know, when the conquistadors came over, they they had a monopoly on um, the eating of the flesh of God, right? When they found out that other people in the world had that same that same right, well, they had to put a stop to that, right? That was the end of Maria Sabina and the Mushroom cults. But I think it was Alan Watts who talked about religion and, and, and about kind of the, you know, you can, go to the, you can go to the Christian church and they'll say, oh, yeah, that, you know, we, we are the best church. And, oh, it's fine. Oh, you were, you were part of Islam? Well, they're a good church. They, they, got a, they got a good system, but, you know, we're the real thing. And if you go to, uh, like, the Mormon church, they'll say, oh, you know, Christianity's it's like 99% right. And they're good over there and, and, and good on you for, for being, you know, a religious person. But if you want to know the real answers, you come and hang with us because we're the real deal. You know, or, or the same thing for Catholicism or Judaism. Like, oh, you know, these, those are all great ideas, but we're the real deal. You know, every one of them think that they have the right answer. And that fits in well with what, France the Wall's bottom-up morality is saying, you know, we have created these belief systems, you know, to help us live the way we feel we ought to live. And by that, I mean, we ought to be in control. We ought to be the ones making decisions. You know, and where do you get the right to make a decision? Where do you get the right to rule over people? Well, that's a divine right. You know, I've, it's an act of God that Clearly, we're God's chosen people, right? God wants us to do it. And that seems to be the claim that the majority of religions and cults and, you know, uh, organizations tend to tell themselves in order to do horrific things. So, you know, another interesting topic there is the language of religions. You know, there's some evidence to say that, you know, in the 
in the early Christian churches and medieval times and other religions throughout the past that the most literate people were the people in the church and whether you know sometimes they had secret languages where they would communicate through symbology maybe not secret maybe just that only a select few of people really knew the true writings of the church like Scientology you got Tom Cruise and David Miscavige and the rest of the Sea Org people or you know in in um the different organizations as far as like the Knights Templars, you know, maybe they had their own secret codes in the Bible and the same thing in Judaism and different sects of that. You know, they, they had a, they had their own kind of language. And I think you could, I could argue that coding is a form of language. And while it's open to anybody to learn, you know, you don't get to see the source code of Amazon or the source code of Google. You don't get to see the the very foundational tenets or the, you don't, as a regular person, or even as an employee of those corporations, you're not gonna get to see the, you know, the very foundations of what things are about. And I would argue that that, that code could be similar to the precious texts of ancient religions. You know, so you have the high priest of yesterday, you know, just like the high priest of today, which I would argue would be people in the tech community. It's, it's a fascinating thing to think about. And um, that's kind of the little rabbit hole I went down with before I even got to my book review about Technopoly by Neil Postman. So I hope every one of you is having an amazing first day of the new year and you got a lot of things to look forward to. I'm going to put down the, the link to the book in the show notes down there. And then a little bit later, I'm going to post up the actual book review that gets into detail about a lot more in-depth about Technopoly and, and some of its consequences. And, and it's one of its major tenets that for everything technology gives you, it takes something away. So think about that for a little bit, and I'll, I'll see you guys on the flip side here. I uh, hope you're having a great day, and looking forward to doing the actual review in a little bit. Aloha. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me, or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision... Follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, 
a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.